Hey kiddo, welcome to the Inspire to Engage podcast, where we talk marketing for small business owners, how we can serve our existing clients well, and ways for us to engage more with potential clients. And of course, we'll talk some about the juggles and struggles to do all of this while still having a life. I'm your host, Rachel Eubanks, and I'm so happy that you're here. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 30 of the Inspire to Engage podcast. And you can tell that I am way deep into educating my first grader and third grader because when I said episode 30, my brain instantly jumped to three sets of 10. And so anyway, I know that many of you are also in the education mind frame right now. You are figuring out virtual school or you're figuring out how to get your child to and from school in a healthy manner, or you're like me and you're homeschooling. And so anyway, I wish you the best. This episode is titled The Importance of Your Ideal Customer. I have broken this episode down into about three parts, three short parts. One of the sections, the first section is going to be why knowing your ideal customer is so important. The second section is about some of the misconceptions that we have or the objections that I hear when I'm talking to clients about finding their ideal client, really identifying who it is that they want to serve in their business. And the final section is just a quick overview of what an email sounds like when we're just talking to everybody, just hoping somebody will buy Versus when we get really clear and how much more fun and personable, personable our communication can be. Because by knowing our ideal customer, our goal is that when they read anything written by us or a video created by us, they think to themselves, was she in my head? How did she know all of these things? How did she know the things that I was struggling with? So anyway, I share that with you today to let you know this is kind of where we're going in this podcast. We're going to start with the reasons why it's important, the misconceptions and the objections that I often hear, and just a quick example. But I want to start with my story first. I came home from the public education workforce. I was a teacher um, in a public school for about 13 years, and I loved what I did. And I needed something of my own. I loved being with my boys, but I missed that creative outlet. And so I started writing content. That was something that I was able to do at home when my boys were napping or after everybody's went to bed. And so that's how I got into writing for businesses. And so I just created that business for myself And for about three and a half years, I did all kinds of work, work that I loved. But what I realized when I was writing emails to my email list, to the people that I had gathered on my email list over the years, or when I was writing social media, or when I was working on my website, I just didn't know who it was I was writing to. When I wrote social media, I would be in fear. I'm not kidding. I would be sweating bullets almost in tears and especially almost in tears if it was a picture of myself because these this thought was running through my head. 
But what if my friend from high school sees it and thinks to themselves, why is she doing this? Why is she on Instagram talking about business? Or what if one of my former colleagues at the elementary school sees this and thinks, what in the world does she know about writing and helping other people write? Those thoughts plagued me constantly. Every time I sat down to write social media, especially in social media, but even in email to my small email list. And finally, about a year ago, I got fed up with that level of frustration and angst. And I heard another podcaster talking about a product that she was selling. And she mentioned handing the characteristics of an ideal customer to a copywriter and having the copywriter form a story. And a bell went off, a, an idea, a light bulb, you know, from the cartoon where it goes ding, ding, ding. That's exactly what I experienced was, yes, that's what I need. I need to get really clear about who it is that I serve in my business. And when I do that, I might as well write a story. I need to bring this person alive. This is what lots of copywriters do when they get a project from another business. They start with the research and understanding the ideal customer and understanding the product and how the product and the ideal customer go together. And so a lot of copywriters will do this. And so I'm sharing with you this tool that as a small business owner, you don't have to be a copywriter to use this savvy trick. You just need to know that it's a trick. You need to realize that knowing your ideal customer is what makes you be able to speak more clearly in your written communication. And I will say it also gives you more confidence. That's what I experienced. Once I really got clear about who it is that I serve, I was no longer so fearful about my friend from high school reading my content or a former teacher colleague reading my content because I had a purpose. So I share my story because I know you may feel the same way. And I want you to understand that that's why I harp on knowing your ideal customer. In fact, if you've been around this podcast for any length of time, if you've listened to an episode or two, you hear me talk about knowing your ideal customer. And so let's go into the reasons why it's important besides my own personal story. But it's one reason one It's one that I skipped for years. For about three years, I skipped over this step. And it's one that I see lots of other business owners skip as well. I've given this example in the past, but it's like training for a race. You know that it's a running race and you're training for it. But you have no idea the length that the race is going to be. You know where the starting line is but you don't know where the finish line is. It really could be just a half a mile or it could be a half marathon. Now, if we hear someone talking to us about training for that race, you know, at first we might think to ourselves, well, that's a pretty cool race. I mean, wow, that's kind of fun and creative. But eventually, the longer they train, I mean, we're going to say to ourselves, wouldn't it just be easier if you knew where the finish line was? Therefore, if you knew it was a half marathon, you would work up to a distance of at least 13, 14 miles. 
or 12 miles so that you know you can make that distance. And if it's a only a half a mile, why would you put that strain and stress on your body and spend all of that time if you don't have to go that distance? You don't have to go anywhere close to that distance. Now, I give that running example because that's a, what a lot of us do as business owners. We get really busy, quote unquote, training. We create the website. We're working on product. We're thinking about hiring people. We're setting up our email system. And yet, we don't know where the finish line is. We don't have that most basic element of who it is I want to serve. Now, I'm going to come back to a misconception here. And I'm going to come back to a point here. And I have it in the misconception section. So I will talk about the fact that when you start your business, it can be hard to know who your ideal client is. But we'll talk about that here in a minute. So reason one is I skipped this step for years and I don't want others to skip this step. It's a, it's a fundamental piece of your business. It's like training for a race that you have no clue where the finish line is. Okay, another reason. Knowing your ideal client clarifies our business. It clarifies the path that we're going to take. Really, it's not all it really it's not just about writing content or creating video. It's also about making decisions about your bottom line. Are you going to add that product? If you know your ideal client through and through, then you have a really good guess if they're going to like that new product. Is it worth you going through the drama and the amount of money that it's going to take to add that product line. So knowing your ideal client is definitely about being more confident in your written content and in your video content, but it is also about the money. It is about making decisions about what products and services you are going to offer. I talk about, I talk about this with people that Knowing your ideal client is like using a laser in your business versus a light bulb. Now, I'm not the first one to come up with this. You hear this in lots of places, in lots of different niches. But a laser is a concentrated or it's concentrated beams of light. And a laser can be even used in surgery. It can be used to cut metal. So it can be used to do something. Now, a light bulb on the other hand, is of course very useful. It does. It puts light out, but it sends light rays throughout the whole room. So it's a comparison of just talking to everybody in our written content and our video content versus getting very specific using that laser beam to talk to a specific group, a specific person. And by doing that, you're getting really clear. You're doing something now. You're not just hoping and praying that someone's going to buy. You're pretty confident that you know someone is going to buy. Another reason that knowing your ideal client is important to me and what I tell other business owners is that it's honestly just more fun. It is a relief because when you know your ideal client, you know her age, her huge accomplishments in life, 
Does she have children? And if she does, what are their ages? Does she live close to her parents and help take care of them? When you know those kinds of things, then you get to have fun in your content. You get to kid about things that you think that you know they're going to find funny. You yourself get to connect with things that are in your life, which may connect in their life. Now, I do want to hold up and say right now that as business owners, we aren't necessarily our ideal clients. Sometimes it works out that we are. We do fall in the same age demographic and the same family status, but sometimes we don't. So I did want to stop and make that point. But by knowing our ideal client well, we can incorporate things from our life that we think he or she will connect to from their life. So it just makes writing more fun. Decision making is more fun because we know who it is that we're talking to, that we're thinking about. It gives us a purpose. And the fourth reason why knowing your ideal customer is important, or at least to me, is because if you've listened at all, you know that I have a course about it creating an ideal customer story. I'm obviously passionate enough about this topic that I created a course. And I do want to make a side note here. It's important to me as a businesswoman that I mention this course here. And I want to say that out loud because I know that you may be listening to this and have a hard time being a salesperson. But if we're in business, we are also in sales. And it's something that I'm working through myself. This podcast takes me a lot of time. I love this podcast. It is my main source of where I release content into this world. So as a businesswoman, I have to use my content source wisely. That means I mention what it is that I sell. So if you know that you've skipped the step of creating an ideal customer story. If you know that you haven't really went there, you haven't thought about who it is that you want to serve, why it is that you want to serve them, then I would encourage you to head to my site, inspiretoengage.com forward slash online courses, and you'll find it there. It's an online course and called Creating an Ideal Customer Story, and it will help bring your ideal customer to life so that when you get stuck, when you're full of doubt, like I was when I started my business and I was so scared that high school friends or former teacher friends would wonder in their head why in the world I thought I could do this business. Bringing out that story reminds me of why I'm in this business and it will will remind you as well. Because I'm telling you what, the self-doubt will come back. We do have low weeks. We get knocked down or we have a customer that's not happy or our child is really sick. And so we're really tired. And so when we get really tired, our mind really starts to play games with us. So the self-doubt will creep back in. But having an ideal customer story gives you something to pull back out, reread and remind yourself, oh yeah, this is why I'm in business. This is who I serve, and this person loves doing business with me. Okay, so if that sounds anything like you are interested in, head to my site, inspiretoengage.com forward slash online courses. The self-paced course um, is less than two hours, and it's about $20 currently. 
as of August 2020. Okay, let's move to the next section of this podcast. And that is three big misconceptions or objections, pushbacks that I hear from my clients, from my business friends. And so objection or misunderstanding maybe is a better word. Misunderstanding number one, you will just automatically know who your ideal customer is. Nope, not necessarily. The thing is, most of us started our business with a particular person in mind. We wanted to help this person or we wanted to help ourselves by make more by making more money. But when we created that business, we really did think to ourselves, who's probably going to buy this? But what we often don't do is to delve deeper and look into why this person might buy it. Or if we've been in business for a little bit, we don't revisit who we thought was going to be buying from us. Because see what happens is, is once we get some purchases under our belt, now we've got real data. We've got market research that we can go and start talking to these people and say, hey, why did you choose me by the way? So knowing our ideal customer, determining who that is, doesn't just magically happen. You do have to have a starting point. You do. All new businesses need to have that starting point. This is who I think will want to buy from me. And then I'm telling you, go deep with that. Really delve into this person's age. How many children? What do they do for a living? Do they live close to family and friends? And then you go into into their minds. Why are they purchasing from me? So misunderstanding number one is that an ideal customer will just magically, I'm sorry, let me say that again, that I will just magically know who my ideal customer is. That's not the case if you don't do the brain work. If you don't make yourself stop and write it down or put it in a Google Doc and notice it. Because otherwise, I'm telling you what's going to happen, just like it happened to me for for many years in my business, you're going to find yourself just writing to a faceless blob. And I say the faceless blob, you know, in an email system, when someone has not put their picture, their actual photo, and it's just this gray silhouette. That's what it was like for me for years. When I wrote social media, it was just this gray silhouette. I could not see a specific person there. And it's because I had not noticed who it is that was being drawn to me, that wanted me to write for them, willing to pay me to write for them. And once I started noticing that, then I was able to get very clear about who it is that is drawn to me and who it is that I want to be drawn to me. Sometimes that's the same thing. Sometimes that's the same person and sometimes it's not. Just a side note, I do always encourage somebody when we're talking about ideal customer to choose who it is that you want to serve. Okay, who it is that you want to serve. Okay, so misunderstanding number one is that it just automatically happens that you know your ideal customer. No, it does take noticing on your part. Okay, misconception number two. It's gonna take forever for me to figure out 
who my ideal customer is. So misunderstanding number one is that it just magically happens and that happens really quickly. And then we have the other misunderstanding that it takes forever to figure it out. No, that is not true as well. It goes back to what I was saying just a couple of minutes ago. It takes you noticing. There is a process. There are a series of questions that you ask yourself, that you revisit. You become very purposeful in noticing your ideal client by saying that, you know, every six months, I'm going to sit down and revisit my characteristics list, or I'm going to revisit my ideal customer story. Has that person changed some? Have I started drawing um, a different type of customer? And if you have, and you're enjoying the fact that you are drawing that customer, that you're drawing that customer to your business, well, then guess what? You revamp your characteristics list, or you revise your ideal customer story. So it does not take forever to identify your ideal customer. It does. Let me say this, it is helpful to have several purchases under your belt so that you start getting a clear picture of who it is that you want to serve and sometimes who it is that you don't want to serve anymore. And I'll give you one quick note. If they argue with you about pricing, not your ideal client, not your ideal client. It doesn't mean that you don't still do business with them at the time because sometimes when your business is very young, you do need that, you need that money, you need that income, but having that income and saying that that person is your ideal client are two different things. So you can find your ideal client, let me say this again, you find your ideal client oftentimes through those initial purchases. And what rises to the top are those people who you love working with who you love doing business with. Okay, and misconception number three is that we only have one ideal client or that we have 15 ideal clients. Let me clarify what I mean by that. If your business is brand new, you probably have one ideal client. An ideal client is normally correlated to a stream of revenue. So let's say that an author, let's use an author as an example, they sell books for, you know, $50 and under. Most books are well under that, $25 and under. So they're, they have an ideal client who loves reading their fiction books and they know that they're willing to spend $25 or less on their book. So that's an ideal client. Now, it, because that's a stream of revenue. Now, that author over the years have, that author maybe has created some face-to-face or Zoom now in 2020 courses where they teach other people to be fiction writers, to be fiction authors. And as you can imagine, getting that type of education is going to cost much more than a $25 book. So we may be looking at something like $300 or as much as $10,000 if it was a weekend retreat before 2020, before COVID-19. Now, that's a different ideal customer. So let me rephrase this. An author is writing a book, 
has been writing books for years and sells most of those fiction books for $25 or less. So that ideal customer is a person who enjoys reading someone else's work versus the ideal customer who is looking to become a fiction author and wanting to learn from another well-known author. That's a completely different ideal customer. So what I'm saying is that as your business matures and as you add different streams of revenue, you probably will have more than one ideal customer. But if you're a brand new business, you probably just have one ideal customer. So some people will push back and say, Rachel, you don't understand. I, I have more than one ideal customer. And when I lean in and start asking questions about what their business does and how old their business is and why they added the stream of revenue, sometimes I agree with them. You're, I'm like, you're right. You are not selling this product to the same person that's going to buy this other product. I completely agree. But one word of, ca- one word of caution here. Most small business owners, though, we do not have 15 ideal customers. So if you are thinking to yourself, but Rachel, you don't understand. I I have 15 ideal customers. They all love my knitted scarves and they buy over and over again. I would say, oh, no, 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 no. You have one ideal customer for your knitted scarves. What you might need to do then is to look at these 15 people that buy from you every time you put a new scarf out there. And start looking for what characteristics do they have that's similar among them and create an ideal persona, an ideal customer based off of their similar characteristics. Come up with that one person, that one ideal customer that you serve, that you write to, that you create video for, that you knit scarves for, just one person. But what really what you're telling me is you've got 15 great customers And that's great. I'm excited for you that you have 15 great customers, but it doesn't mean you have 15 ideal customers. Let's take those customers that are buying that similar product and let's create one persona, one avatar, one profile. You'll hear that in different different blog posts and videos. So an ideal customer profile, an ideal customer avatar, or an ideal customer persona, it's all the same thing. Okay, so I hope that helps you understand that yes, you may have one more, you may have more than one ideal customer, and especially if your business is more mature. But if your business is just starting out, I would encourage you to work on just identifying one ideal customer. Okay, let me do a quick recap on this section before I move to the final portion of this podcast. The first misunderstanding that I hear often is that I've already done it. I already know who my ideal customer is. It's just magic. It's automatic. It's just going to come to me. There's no reason for me to pause and think about it. And I would push back and say, no, you probably started your business with somebody in mind, but I need you to stop, write it down, get very clear Look at who is buying for from you. Does that match who you thought would buy from you? And let me let me also stop right here and say this too. If you are a brand new business, you really may have to just make it up in the beginning. You really just may have to make it up. Who is my ideal customer? There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, you should. 
You should start with an end in mind. But it's also your job to that as you get some sales underneath your belt to go back and revisit who it is that you want to serve. Because you really may, you may see that you're serving somebody different than what you started out and you're loving it and it's great for your business. Well, be sure then that you update your characteristics list or your ideal customer story. The second misunderstanding is that it takes 10 years to determine who your ideal customer is. So it doesn't just happen, but at the same time, it doesn't take 300 sales underneath your belt for you to determine who it is your ideal customer. It just takes being cognizant. It takes being mindful and noticing who it is that's buying from you and who loves buying from you, who it is that you love to serve and who seems really appreciative. In fact, if you are struggling with identifying who it is, who is your ideal customer, those are three questions I really encourage people to ask themselves. Number one, who do I love to serve? Number two, who seems most appreciative? So who gives me these really nice comments? Who just goes on and on and on about how helpful that was? That's a huge clue of who may be an ideal customer for you. And then number three, who do you think you want to serve? And that's a question that I often ask people who are just starting their business. Who do you think you want to serve? Okay, and so the final misconception, the misunderstanding I hear a lot is that I have more than one ideal client. Yes, you probably do if you are a mature business. You probably have added another stream or two of revenue over the years. So you really may have two or three ideal clients. And I would tell you that you need to keep notes on all, on all of them. But if you're just starting out, I would push back and say, no, you probably have one. And in fact, get really good at serving that one ideal client and then consider that next stream of revenue. Let's move to this last portion of this podcast. I What I did was I wrote a quick, simple email. And then I want to share with you how I changed that email a little bit by being very specific about who this company serves. Okay, so here is my email to a faceless blob. Dear customer, we have an offer for you that you're just going to love. This week only, all cotton summer dresses are 20% off. Be sure to use the code DRESS20 at checkout. Remember, we have a limited number and hopefully our stock will last through the week. Okay, so obviously this is an email about dresses being on sale. It's a fine email. I call it a gray email. Gray as in the color, as in faceless blob, as in the little icon where someone's not put their picture and it's just this gray silhouette of a person's head. This email could have been written to absolutely anyone. And on the surface, that's perfectly fine. But we live in a saturated market. People can build websites in hours. People can create a business just by jumping on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever else. And so when it became that easy to create a business, that means it became very saturated. 
So there's nothing wrong on the surface with that email other than it's going to blend in with all of the other 300 emails that came in that day to the person's inbox. So let's think to ourselves now, who is the ideal client for this online dress boutique? And I just jotted a couple of things down that this ideal client is 32, has three kids and all of them are under 10. She's extremely active right now because obviously her kids are under 10. Things are starting to open back a little bit. So she's taking her kids to karate and they're visiting the, to the library, of course, with her mask on. She is working. They're working on Zoom as well or WebEx. So she's got a lot going on. Now, this company knows this about the ideal customer because they put a few they've put a few phone calls. They've done some surveys. They've worked really hard to take the loyal customers that are buying from them and create this one ideal client from similar characteristics, similar data. So now that we have this picture in our head of a 32-year-old mom with three kids zooming all over the place, literally and figuratively, here is that short email that I altered just a little bit. I added some personality because I wanted her to feel like that this dress boutique was writing straight to her, not to the other 3,000 people on their email list, but to her. Dear sweet customer, geez, it's been a tough few months. So here's 20% off all cotton summer dresses. We know your dresses should feel easy breezy, even if the Zoom calls with a pack of kindergartners doesn't. And with anything good, like your hot coffee, this deal won't last long. Use the code DRESS20 at checkout this week only. Okay, now really quickly, at first I did check the word count. Originally, my gray email, my faceless blob email, I think was around about 45, 48 words. I did add a couple of more words. This final email, when I said, dear sweet customer, it was around about 60 words. So there were a few more words added. And you always, as a copywriter, have to debate back and forth as a business owner. You never want to make your emails so long that people aren't going to read them. But at the same time, if they're so bland that they could have been written to anybody, with a checkbook and a credit card, then you are not standing out from the crowd. Now, this example, some of you could push back and say, hey, but Rachel, people are going to use discount codes. Yes, of course they are. So this may not be a fantastic or perfect example, but I want it to be short and sweet. And so that's why I simply made a discount email. And I wanted to show you the difference between a discount email that was written to 3,000 people on an email list versus written to the same email list with the same number of people, but it was written with a specific person in mind. And we know, based off of some of their research, some of their phone calls, that most of the people who are going to open that email are going to recognize it and, and it's going to resonate with them because they are moms. They have a bunch of kids. And I'll tell you something else. 
even if it doesn't exactly resonate with them, having a little personality in an email still is more fun. It still makes you stand out. So let me read the two emails one more time back to back. Here's the first one. Dear customer, we have an offer for you that you're just going to love. This week only, all cotton summer dresses are 20% off. Be sure to use the code DRESS20 at checkout. Remember, we have a limited number and hopefully our stock will last through the week. Okay, and here is that same email revised with our ideal customer in mind trying to speak directly to her, making some connections with her that she, it's going to resonate with her. Dear sweet customer, geez, it's been a tough few months. So here's 20% off all cotton summer dresses. We know your dresses should feel easy breezy, even if the Zoom calls with a pack of kindergartners doesn't. And with anything good, like your hot coffee, this deal won't last long. Use the code DRESS20 at checkout this week only. Okay, so those, there are the two emails side by side. As I said a few minutes ago, the first email, the discount email, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong whatsoever. But I wanted to show you, or show you, haha, I wanted to read to you for you to hear the difference between one email that's just, it's like pulling on the light bulb and you're just kind of putting light beams out throughout the whole room and just hoping and praying that it resonates with somebody versus the second email where we had a specific person in mind, an ideal client in mind when we wrote it. And so we tried to put things in there that was specific, like kindergartners being on Zoom or WebEx, however your school's doing it. We know it's hilarious. I just have had really good friends recently talking about the hilarity of watching a bunch of kindergartners, the nose picking, the pencils waving in the air, the crawling under and their heads no longer in the camera. I mean, that's good stuff, people. And so when a mama reads that, even if she doesn't have a kindergartner, she can quickly remember what that would be like, or can imagine what that would be like. And then the hot coffee. We know this is this is no secret in America that many of us live off of coffee. And it's definitely not, um, it's not new information that most of us don't get to drink it hot. We end up drinking it cold. So the fact that our hot coffee is not going to last long, yes, she completely understands that. So there's the difference between an email without an ideal customer in mind versus an email with someone very specific in mind. Okay, we're going to wrap this podcast up. I just want to remind you that recognizing your ideal client and stopping to write those characteristics or creating an ideal customer story so that this person comes to life, it's very important. It lays a foundation for your business. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean that once you do it, you never revisit it again. That's just not true. Because the more sales that happen, the more market research, the more data you're going to have. And so really, you will revise it as you go. And as your business matures and as you add a stream of revenue, you really may add a second or a third ideal customer. So just remember 
that creating an ideal customer, identifying an ideal customer helps for helps you to get clear. And when I got really clear a year and year and a half ago, I also got more confident because I had a purpose and I wasn't so worried about what everybody else was going to think when they read my content because I knew who I was serving. And so if you're battling that, I would strongly encourage you as well to stop and figure out who your ideal client is. Okay. If you are interested in my course, and honestly, I would love for you to buy it from me, but I just want you to pause and do the work and not skip it like I did for a long time. But if you are interested in the course, it's inspiretoengage.com forward slash online courses. It's called Creating an Ideal Customer Story. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be something that you are mindful of doing, that you know you're going to get done. And... If you want to be so brave, I would encourage you to send me a quick email, rachel at inspiretoengage.com. If you've identified your ideal customer, shoot me an email. Let me know. I would love to know your ideal customer's name, some of the demographics about him or her. That kind of stuff really makes me excited as a copywriter and as a podcast host. So I would love to hear from you. It'd be a great exercise for you as well as a business owner. So shoot me that email. And of course, you can follow me at Inspire to Engage on Facebook and on Instagram. I would love to see you there. Okay. I hope you have a wonderful week. Until next time. Bye.